So we are in a series entitled Extra Evangelical, and if you're unfamiliar with that term, don't worry about it, we made it up. And the nature or the idea behind the term is this, uh, that we are going to be more extra about being evangelical. And, and what we mean by that is orthodox Christianity, believing the straight line of faith. The straight line of faith that uh, if this is a timeline is from here uh, where we're at today, working its way through the Reformation, through the early church, through the time when Christ was on earth, through the Old Testament prophets, all the way through the Old Testament, through the first five books of the Bible, back to in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And there is a straight line of faith. And all along the way, there have been diversions from that, and they were present in the very first church. That's in part why John wrote his letter to the church on the diversions that had come out of it. And so we've been studying through this letter uh, as a way of understanding how do we hold to the line of faith. Uh, But also, John wrote the letter for two reasons. One, so that we might know that we're in relationship with the Father, and secondly, so that our joy might be complete. And so we have now found ourselves in 1 John chapter 3, and this comes after a section that is entitled The Children of God. See, one of the things that John loves to do in his writing is to make distinctions. We live in a world today that hates distinctions. The most obvious distinction, male, female. Let's get rid of it. We live in a world that hates distinctions, but Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is primarily doing what? Making distinctions. Water, land, dark, light, male, female, human, non-human, right? And what does the world do right now? Tries to throw all of the distinctions out uh, and try to make everything uh, like it's all one. And and so John, last week, he made a very important distinction. And here was the important distinction, uh, that we are not all just children of God. That's a deception that exists right now. Oh, everyone, we're all just children of God. We're all just children of God. John says, no, we're not. Those who are children of God are those whom, according to Romans 8, 29, right, that he predestined, that he called, that he justified, right, and, uh, and that he will glorify. Those are the children of God. And those who are not, right, are not the children of God. Now, how do we become a child of God? Right, through the grace of Christ, right, through the grace uh, of Jesus, and then accepting it through faith, right? And so there's distinction, children of God, non-children of God. Now, what he's going to do in this section is he's going to show us one of, or maybe the predominant indicator that you have become a child of God. One of the things that John loves to do in his writing is revisit similar themes. And in uh, this letter, there's three indicators or three signs that John keeps going back to and says, these are indicators that you're a child of God. These are indicators. And they're, uh, because we live in Northwest Ohio, uh, we've given it the acronym TOL, truth, obedience, and love. And he just keeps revisiting these, truth, obedience, and love. Adhere to the truth of the word of God, obey the word of God, and love the brothers. Truth, obedience, and love. Now here, in this particular text, what he's talking about is he's going deeper into love. He's already visited love before. Uh, So we've already talked in this series about what John uh, says, do not love, do not love the world, namely. Uh, And then also we have been encouraged already to love. And now John is going to go deeper into this idea of love. And he's going to do so by saying this, 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, in part, what John is doing here is he is quoting Christ uh, when Jesus says that famously, uh, but he's also going all the way back because there's a verse all the way back in Leviticus 19 that talks about how we are to love one another. And so from the beginning, God has been a message of love. This is creating, um, this is correcting one falsehood, which sometimes we hear in our modern world, well, the New Testament God is loving, but the Old Testament God, he wasn't very loving. No, God is the same. He's always been the same, and he's always been a God of love. John says, this is the message. Now, when John says, this is the message, uh, it's kind of like on your phone. If you get uh, like notifications from an app, and if you have a news app, and every once in a while, there's something like breaking news, three exclamation points, right? And you're like, oh, what is it, right? It's obviously clickbait. But, uh, and they're trying to get you to, to read, and they think, oh, this is the worst thing that has ever happened, right? Uh, and, but when John says, this is the message, this, it's a statement or a phrase where he's trying to get the attention. He's saying, no, no, this is it. Right here, what's going on right here, this is a world-altering, life-shaping type of message. And what is it? That we should love one another. John is saying that Jesus said that this right here was the difference maker. This right here is the message that has to get out. Love one another. Now, we live in 2023. Love is very popular. Love is love is love. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my friend Mike preached, and uh, when he preached, he, he read through what is known as the Sparkle Creed. And if you don't know what the Sparkle Creed is, you can Google Sparkle Creed, and you can see a real pastor, right? I definitely use those, okay? Um, reciting out the Sparkle Creed. The Sparkle Creed is a confession of faith. It is a confession of faith. It's a confession of heretical faith, but it is a confession of faith. And part of the Sparkle Creed is this beautiful line. I believe in the call to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. You've seen the signs. We believe in love. Love is love. There's a lot of love going on. The world loves love. Love, and the world distorts love. It's so distorted that even preaching a message like this morning takes a lot of clarification because we are caught up now to, to read Jesus' statement, just love one another, and you go, well, that's really not that radical, Jesus. Everybody's saying that. Love is love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. Love no matter what. God is only love. Can't we all just love each other? I mean, love right now is proposed as the universal solution, but it is a false, distorted love. And so how do we see the difference between the sparkle creed, love is love is love, that is love, love, and Jesus' words, love one another. They are different. And this text will help us understand how they're different. And uh, we're just, I'm just going to walk you through the text this morning and let the Word of God do what the Word of God does. And as I walk through the text this morning, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see one negative example. You're going to see one positive, transformative example. That's actually more than an example. You're going to see one warning, and then you're going to see three benefits. And that's what you're going to see this morning as we simply walk through this text. 
Let's start with the glaring negative example. John says this, we should not be like Cain. Some of you are new to faith, and uh, if you just got married and you're about to have a baby and you're looking for names, Cain should not be on your list, okay? If your name is Cain and you're here this morning, we love is love is love you, okay? (laughs) So we're glad you're here. You get a star, okay? It says, we should not be like Cain. If there's any just simple biblical instruction that I enjoy, it's this one. You, we should not be like Cain. John is, he's like, don't be like that guy. And if you don't know who Cain is, at the, remember at the stages of timeline, all the way right back here in the beginning, Adam and Eve were the first human beings, and they had uh, children, and their first two children that, that we read about here, and we think oh, were the first two, Cain and Abel, right? And so there's Cain and Abel. These are real human beings. We believe in, you know, the Genesis is real. And, and so there's Cain and Abel and their brothers, and uh, in Christian, Orthodox Christian belief, we believe that all of us are born in sin now because uh, we're born under our father, Adam. Well, that would be true then of Cain and Abel. And the story of Cain and Abel then uh, is this like picture uh, of how the world is going to be now that that sin, right, uh, uh, that sin entered and broke into the world. And how is it going to be? Is it going to be like this slow creep? Is it going to be like, oh, things are gradually going to get worse and worse and worse? No. Cain murders his brother Abel. Right from the beginning, we see kind of the, if I can use this term, the currency of the world. That, uh, that vitriol, that anger, that hatred is going to give away to physical acts of violence. And it's going to result in murder, or as we're going to see later, uh, uh, whoever does not love, there's just death. Like death is just going to surround everything. That is going to be the new state of the world. The Genesis account carries this out, by the way. It carries it out all the way up until the point where God says, wow, the, people are thinking about evil all the time, and the flood comes in, so he gives a, a, a rainbow, a Noahic covenant that says, I'm not going to kind of cover the world in a common grace, all right? Because this got evil bad very quickly. So that is now entered into the world. Cain murders his brother Abel. Now we're told here that Cain was of the evil one. There's the distinctions again. There, there, there's those of the evil one, and there's those who are children of God, and those who are not. And, and by the way, we learned something of those who are not of the children of God, and that is this, that outside of the common grace that exists in the world, right, that, uh, that, that those who are of the evil one are naturally going to be prone to that which is wrong, to that which is evil. That is not the state of the world, right? That we are prone to our inner selfishness. We are prone and fall prey to sin. We've, we fall prey to that. Uh, it wants to rule us. It wants to enslave us. In fact, God actually said this to Cain. He said, Cain, don't you realize your sin is going to enslave you? You got to learn to control it or it will control you. And this becomes in the kind of the natural state of the world. He was of the evil one, and so he murdered his brother. Now I know some of you, you have brothers and so you were like, I don't know, I kind of get it, right? Like, you know. And so you think maybe, I don't know, maybe Abel deserved it, right? Like, what did he do? Well, John foresaw this question because he says right in the text, and why did he murder him? 
And maybe in your head you're thinking, well, I don't know, maybe he was really bad. Maybe Abel, and you could fill in the blank on what you think is a really bad person, right? He said, why did he murder him? Look at this. Because his own deeds were evil, because Cain's own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Why did he murder him? Because he was good. That's why. That's why he murdered him. Because he was good, because he was righteous, because he was godly. Could you imagine, by the way, if this story was told today, how, how the, the, the like, manipulation of the story would occur if this story was told today? Like, there would be some people who, you can see the commentators on the news looking in, and, and there would be one perspective that would go, you know what? Abel was kind of self-righteous. He kind of deserved it. There'd be another, someone else who would raise the fact, and they go, well, who's to say that Cain's sacrifice wasn't good enough and that Abel's was? Like, who's to say? Who's to judge that? God. God is. God is the one who gets to judge that which is right and that which is wrong. We see this right from the beginning. And we see this, that the world is going to revolt against the God who has a standard of right and wrong. The world is going to revolt against that. And the world is going to revolt against the standard of right and wrong. How extreme, how far is the world going to go to revolt against the standard of right and wrong? So far as to kill, as to murder. They will be willing to take it that far. Who? Who is going to take it that far? The same group of people, the same mindset that on one hand can say love is love is love. That is love. A distorted view of love. But what is, what is lingering underneath? What's underneath it? See, the world's love, the world's love will hate righteousness. God's love does hate unrighteousness. But only in God's love, only in the gospel, and I'll show this later, only in the gospel can, can Christian love both hate unrighteousness and yet love the bearers of unrighteousness. And you know one of the reasons why we can do that? When we read the story of Cain and Abel, isn't it so easy as you're reading the story? You immediately, we always do this, we all immediately place ourselves in the story. And where do we place ourselves? Abel. All of us immediately go, gosh, I am so much better than my brother. Yeah. And I don't know why he doesn't like me, right? Oh, we're so good at this. We immediately place ourselves as able in the story, and we look and we go, oh, all of those evil canes. Notice that John doesn't, he doesn't make the assumption that they're going to be or think of themselves as able. He goes, hold on, hold on. Don't be like Cain. Why does John say that? Because your natural tendency, a part of the grace of God, is to be Cain-like. Your natural tendency, apart from the grace of God, is to end up being enslaved and controlled by that sin inside of you that would want to run rampant. And some of you, you don't believe me this morning. Go get cut off in traffic and see what happens. Like I said last week, call AT&T, see what happens. 
guys, I was supposed to get internet in my house two weeks ago. They sent somebody, it couldn't happen. Then they sent somebody the next week, but they didn't send them to my new house. They sent them to my old house. So I had a one and a half hour conversation where at the end of it, I said, please assure me that somebody will come to my new house next week. And they said, yes. Then they called me on Saturday and they said, hi, I'm here at 1843 Lexington in Perrysburg to fix. And I said, Whew. I said, sir, I'm going to pause and pray for a second. And I want you to know that I did not yell or get angry this week when AT&T messed up. So anyone who tells you that sanctification is not possible, they are a liar. It is possible. And if God can redeem me from that, he can redeem anything. Amen? Okay. I do have internet now, by the way. Amen. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Where were we? In the Bible. And why? Did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous? So maybe you think, okay, this is good, though, but I'm sure that all ended with Cain and Abel, right? Look at the next line. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't you love these moments? You're like, I can't believe it. I don't know why. I'm so shocked. Listen, if you ever want to know who to vote for, what to believe, or what to do, just see who the world likes and do the opposite. It's that easy. Oh, they all hate that guy? I really like him. What does he do? I don't know. But if they hate him, I like him. Okay? If they're going to do this, I'm going to do that. If they're watching Barbie, I'm watching Sound of Freedom. Right? I don't know where that one came from. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm just like, all right. Don't be surprised, brothers. That the world hates you. Christian, I think it's time that we realize that we're living in a place right now where the old rules or the old paradigm or the old thing that we thought doesn't exist in the same way anymore. And so don't be surprised when you see the powers of this world acting in hate and vitriol toward righteousness. It's been going on since the beginning. Cain murdered Abel. Evil wants to destroy righteousness. And the amazing thing is, when evil is attempting to destroy righteousness, it will not do it by saying, we're here to destroy righteousness. You know how it'll do it? It'll do it by saying this. Love is love. Is love is love. Is love. See, and this points us to the second thing that is different about the world's love and Christian love. We see it in verse 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That verse, by the way, is reminding us this, that, that where God's love is not present, if you allow it to just keep spinning, where it will end up is death and decay. By the way, one of the reasons as Christians that we get excited about godly law, one of the reasons why we vote is that God uses government and God uses law as a common grace to prohibit people from um, um, running in anarchy in their sin. If you don't believe me, go to San Francisco or Portland right now. You throw out law, what happens? The inner sinful nature begins to run rampant. And when anyone says, well, uh, you know, uh, I don't know why law is, is so important. I don't know why what we vote for is so important. I don't know why. Because God uses that. He says it in his Bible, in his word, that, that he uses that as a way to constrain 
evil. That's why it's important. Because otherwise, what's going to happen? Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love, like, like where there is not God's love, God's truth, God's presence, then death and decay and destruction will be the result. He goes on to say this then. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What happened here? God went from don't murder. The text went from don't murder to don't hate. There's something that's going on here. One thing is this. I think John is saying, hey, Christian, most of us in this room, I'm sure, haven't murdered somebody. He's saying, don't pat yourself on the back because you haven't murdered. <laughs> Christian love is going gonna, is gonna to go a little bit further. It's going to have to break inside. And I think here, uh, very clearly, what John is doing is he is referencing something that Jesus said in Matthew. Let me go to Matthew chapter 5 really quick. This is Matthew 5, 21 through 24. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, these are Jesus' words, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus doing? Well, Jesus, of course, was, uh, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And, and what Jesus was doing there uh, is he's showing how, yes, there, there, there's a way uh, of understanding love as being this, like, outward thing. At least I didn't do the thing. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Christian love goes deeper. Christian love is not just about what I say out here. Christian love then also goes into here. And so what John is doing is he's kind of ramping it up a little better, turning the, the wrench, if I could use that metaphor. He's, he's turning a little bit. He's going, okay, so you haven't killed him. But how do you feel inside? How do you feel about them inside? See, worldly love, worldly love wants to say this. Oh, we should love everyone. I mean, haven't you heard that? Uh, uh, ask somebody, ask the secularist, ask the modernist and say, hey, should we love everyone? And what are they going to say? Absolutely, we got to love everyone. And then if you could press it in a little bit more and say, okay, let me talk about this person right over here. They're a mega hat wearing, truck driving, deer hunting, pro-life, I'm pretty much just describing our church, okay? Pro-life, voting, whatever, Christian. And the person, you can see their head about to explode. And they go, oh, and they're not vaccinated. <laughs> if you want to see Cain out, just tell him you're not vaccinated. That's all you got to do, okay? But I thought we were supposed to love everyone. Well, yeah, but not them. Isn't it interesting that if you just watch, the most intolerance and the most hatred, vitriol, anger, and rage will come from the most tolerant and the most love is love is love is love speakers. Why? <laughs> because it, 
it's revealing, it's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. It's revealing what's truly underneath. But Christian, Christian, what we're being taught here is this. We're not just supposed to love everyone. We are supposed to love anyone. Isn't that the story of the Good Samaritan? No, no, no. Not just do you love everyone. Do you love that guy? Do you love that girl? Do you love him? Do you love her? Not everyone. Anyone. Yeah. Even her. Even him. It's a Christian love. Christian love, it breaks in. It's the gospel that then it breaks into the heart. And at this point then, it's not just about what I've done. It's not just if I adhere to the law. It's not just if I not crossed a certain physical threshold. It's what's going on inside of me. It's a different kind of love. See, this love, that love that I'm just talking about right there, uh, uh, the opposite of it, uh, of it is the world's love, and it is the dominating currency of our day. But what is underneath this, or what is opposite of this, rather, um, is, is Christ's love. And that is the love that John says, no, 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 this message, that kind of love that stems from out of there, right, that kind of love, that is the kind of love that will change everything. That is an announcement that is worth sharing. And then in verse 16, uh, John transitions from the negative example over to the, uh, the one positive, transformative example. And I use my words carefully there. Uh, and here's what it is. This is 1 John 3.16. And many of us know John 3.16, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's talking about God's love there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the great message of salvation, right? And it's talking about God's love. Here's 1 John 3.16, which is also a beautiful verse. Not talking about the father's love, but talking about the son's love. By this we know love, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He's talking about how does the message, the, the, this, this message, this is the message, this is the announcement. How, how does it look? What happens in this message? How does it go out and change everything? And, and he's showing it right here in verse 16. That the, the first thing that had to happen is that the, the, the great example, Christ, had to come. But I use my words carefully for this reason. Christ is not just some great example. There have been great examples there have been great examples of integrity. There have been great examples of love. There have been great examples of sacrifice. There have been great examples of bravery. All of those things throughout the world. I've named my kids after some of them, right? We have those heroes. Christ is not just a hero in a line of heroes. He is an incredible example, but he's not just an example. He is also an act of love, or he is also the power that makes this type of love possible in us. He's more than just an example. By this we know love, that he, Christ, and it was only Christ because he was both fully God and fully man because he lived up perfectly to the law, uh, because he was sinless. It was only Christ who could lay down his life for us and it would matter and change what is going on in here. Why? Because when Christ went to the cross, what happened is this, all of the cainness, if I can use that metaphor, 
All of the Cainness. And by the way, who was it that, that put Christ on the cross? It was the world. It was the Cains of the world who thought that they were Abel's. Didn't they? They thought they were Abel's killing a Cain. But they were a Cain killing an Abel. And not just an Abel, a better, a better Abel. An Abel whose sacrifice was perfect because he was an Abel whose sacrifice was himself. The greatest Abel. And the Cain's murdered that Abel. But when the Cain murdered that Abel, what happened? What happened in Christ? In that moment, Christ took all of the Cainness, the wrath of God upon himself so that his perfect sacrifice now could be counted to us. It's like retelling the Cain and Abel story and saying, but then what happened is Abel turned to Cain and said, here, take mine. Here, Cain, take mine. It's exactly what Christ did. That love, that love then to the Christian, it breaks in. And the only way to love, like we're about to talk about, is for love, for you to experience the Father's love. No pithy statement, no secular worldview can cause you to love as love as love as love like the gospel, that love that then breaks in, that moves us, because this is what happened, that moves us from self-preservation to self-sacrifice. It's all about me. The gospel breaks in. It's all about others. How much so? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers the gospel breaking in. And when the gospel breaks in, John is saying, it doesn't just stop you from murder. It makes you evaluate even your hate. Or as Jesus carries on in that sermon I read, a sampling of, it makes you stop your lust, your retaliation, changes your sexual ethic. It changes everything. It breaks in. This is the message. Do you know that love? Only that love will allow you to love like John is talking about. Then very abruptly, just like I'm being right now, in verse 17, John gets exceptionally practical. He, he lays down this like theological like bombshell. Whoosh, and then he goes, okay, let me tell you how this works out. Because the worldly love often wants to be ethereal. We talk about it, we, we, we mention it, we think it's a good idea, right? Like, we think it's awesome. I mean, goodness, guys, if I can give you a picture of worldly love, it is people in New York City, or around New York, in, we'll, we'll say in New England, saying that open borders are a fantastic thing, but then when they're faced with it themselves, throwing their hands up and saying, whoa, hold on. That's the perfect picture. Love is love is love is great. Okay, will you love practically? Well, hold on. What if it affects you? Well, hold on. I wanted to love in the ethereal. And sometimes Christians do this too. We want to love. We say, yes, I love in the ethereal. And John's going to say, hold on. Jesus didn't die on an ethereal cross. It was real. It was a very real cross. And it was a very real death. 
So he says, you can't just love in the ethereal. You got to love in reality. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? What a great question. James says it this way. If anyone knows what he ought to do and does not do it, it is sin. Proverbs 4.28 says it this way. 3.28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. You say, no, make love. Bring love into the practical. Bring love. See, the warning he is saying is this. The warning he is saying is, don't keep love uh, as an ethereal idea. Make it practical. Uh, and the warning on why we don't do that is he's saying we grow indifferent. Indifference rises up inside of us. But if anyone has the world's goods, so the first assumption there is that you have the thing, right? And I know it's talking about a physical, practical good, but most commentators agree uh, that this can be applied across the spectrum of physical, spiritual, emotional, relate, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But if anyone has the thing and sees his brother in need, and you can only see your brother in need if you're close enough to actually know a brother's need. So this is also a call to abandon isolation. And sees his brother in need, yet what? Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? He's making it super practical. When you're face to face with him or her, how does God's love abide in you? See, what's interesting is this. I always talk about air game, ground game. The world's love has a fantastic air game and a horrible ground game. And here's what I mean by that. Love is love is love is love. And then you meet somebody. Ugh. Get away. Christian love, from the world's perspective, has a horrible air game. If you don't believe, you're going to hell. Sin is sin. We go through the list, right? We don't believe this. We believe that. This, this air game. And people go, oh, my gosh, you got to work on your air game. Nope. The air game is just going to be truth. That's the air game. Well, what's the Christian's ground game? Oh, come close. Oh, you disagree with everything? That's okay. I love you. Oh, you're on the outs? Christ says, bring him in. Air game, ground game. And Christian, we, we, we can't... We can't, we can't adjust either one. We can't take the world's air game and mix it with our ground game. We have to stick to our air game, which is the proclamation of truth, but then also stick to our ground game, which is up close, impersonal, I love you. Both are essential. Both are essential. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, when, how, how are you indifferent to the person who's in need? And he answers the question. He says, your heart is closed. Your heart is closed. Friend, is your heart closed to anybody? Do you know who it is? Husband, is your heart closed to your wife? And so you refuse to love her as Christ loves the church. Wife, is your heart closed to your husband? So you refuse to respect him like he deserves. Parent, it's hard for our hearts to close to our children, but maybe that's true. Child, 
It's more often that our hearts close to our parents. Adult children in particular. Has your heart closed? Rich, is your heart closed to the poor? Ah, it's their fault. Poor. Have your heart, has your heart closed to the rich? Church member, has your heart closed to someone in the body? What would it take to open it back up? You and I can try to push it open, push it open, push it open. Mm. But I think what opens it up for the Christian is realizing how God opened up the door for us. You know what happened after Cain murdered his brother Abel? God showed up and offered him grace. You know what happens even when the world hates and murders, steals, kills, and destroys? Jesus shows up to show them grace. What are we supposed to do? As God opened the door for you, so we open the door back for them. I want to end here today simply asking you to consider and pray about who do you need to open the door back for? Maybe it's an entire group of people, or maybe it's a specific one. And God would have you just crack it back open a little bit. See, here's what's interesting. The world's hatred is defined by Cain's one act of murder. Christian love is defined by one act of Christ's sacrifice. One act of love changed the entire story. What if one act of love from you to him or her could change the whole story again? You open the door back up. You let love get in. And you see where God takes it. I knew I was going to end there, but let me just give me one more minute. This comes with some incredible blessings. If we love like this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And so right now, if you're like, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can do it. No, 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 he's greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Love like this, opening back up, is something that gives us assurance in Christ. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It unlocks something in our prayer life. And some of you, you have spent so much time praying for something. But the reason uh, this text seems to be indicating that it's not occurring is because you are harboring hate and anger inside of you. And so you can keep praying, but it's bouncing off the wall and coming back. And we try to circumnavigate God's instruction here by worshiping harder, by being nicer to other people. God, look at me. I'm being good over here. So can you just forget this little bit of hate that exists in my heart? No. 
Now deal with that first. See what, see what it unlocks in your prayer life. And then last, he says this, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, this kind of love, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. He's going to give you a Holy Spirit to help you, and it's going to kind of give you like an abundance of life, like, like, a, like, like when that anger and that hatred goes to die, like a life uh, of the spirit just kind of floods over you. There's a joy. There's an ease to your walk, to your life all of a sudden because it has consumed and come over you. And my friend, those are incredible benefits of living in this way. If uh, living in the other way leads to death, living in this way, he's saying, it leads to assurance, it leads to this unlocking in your prayer life, and it leads to this like abundance of the Spirit over you. Come on, which one's better? Let his love come in. Let it pour back out. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that... For God so loved the world that you so loved us that you sent your son Christ. Thank you that you would lay down your life for us. Teach us to love like you. I want to give you a second here. Maybe you can name him or her. You have slammed the door shut. Would you let it open back up? One act of love could change everything. Would you do what it says in Matthew? Would you go to them instead of making them come to you? Father, use this, please. to change some things, to unleash some freedom. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for not closing the door on us. Whew, you were so good. You opened it right back up. Thank you. May that love change us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.